0: <laughs> I had cotton mouth by the end of this thing last hour. So uh, we're reading Romans 11. That's on page 946 if you have one of the Bibles we provide here. 946, Romans chapter 11, verse 1 through 32. All right. So here we go. As we read, remember, we are reading God's word. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says... Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. If the dough offered as firstfruits is holy, so the whole lump, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, Branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. This is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness otherwise you too will be cut off and they if they do not continue in their unbelief will be grafted in for god has the power to graft them in again for if you were cut off from what was a wild what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree how much more will these the natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree lest you be wise in your own sight For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. This is God's word. You can have a seat. Holy smokes.
1: Scoot that over. Well, let's teach through 32 verses now. Are you guys ready? (laughs) Whew. So, first service, I think I got a little lost in the weeds. I plan not to do this time. But here's why this passage is tricky. You could get very teachery and academic and just kind of explain logistically how God is working right now in the world through this passage. And if you're a church person, like you've been around a while and you've kind of developed a theology in your head, you might really want that. Some people get really jazzed about studying the nuances of theology. So there's words out there like covenantal theology or dispensational, all these words that probably go over the tops of a lot of your heads. I don't plan on camping out much there, but this passage is about the Jews. Specifically, it's about how God relates to the jews now the question arises why does this at all matter to us mostly gentile people here in queen creek arizona why does this matter in preaching they say there's either a felt need or a spiritual need what's the need that this passage brings to light and i think the way romans lays out you can kind of see the importance of what paul's talking about what i mean by that Luke has been preaching through Romans. We've been preaching through Romans. Romans has 16 chapters. The first 11 are theology. What's theology? Study of God. The very end of Romans 11, so Romans 11, 33 through 36, then is a doxology, which is worship. And then Romans 12, which we'll get to in two weeks says, I appeal to you, therefore, brother, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, here's how you live. So the way Romans is laid out is God's going to talk about himself and how he's working and what he's doing and what his character is like for 11 chapters. And then Paul breaks out into a worship moment, Brazelton style. He sings the guitar for three passages, worship, worship, worship. And then he gets into, okay, now... Here's how we're supposed to live, Christians. So, what's interesting, if Romans 1 through 11 is theology, what God wants us to know about Himself, He ends in a peculiar way. He talks about the Jewish people, and that's the end. That's the stamp on Paul's theological argument he's been making this whole time. Does that strike anyone else as odd? Like, it just seems kind of random kind of out of place. There's lots of ways God could talk about himself. And the way he decides to close this chapter on his theology section is, I'm going to go back to the Jews. Let's discuss this, people. Here's why this is so important. The Jews, if you take this Bible seriously, and you look at our current state and look at the Jewish people and just how they relate to God, and you're really trying to think through how this fits together, the Jews are either a huge problem for God, or they're a huge proof. The Jews are either a big problem for God because this book, I counted, there's a 1,000 pages in my Bible. The first 800 is the Old Testament. The next 100 is the New Testament, which is still mainly ministry to the Jews. So doing the math, 900 out of 1,000 pages are directed mainly towards the Jews. And if you look out at our current world, and Paul was looking out at his current world, A.D. 50-ish, 90% of this book is about the Jews, and over 90% of the Jews have rejected. And as God just, did he make the biggest mistake in the history of the world? He spent all this time pouring into these people, and it seems like for naught. So you got to wrestle with this tension. We you know who Martin Luther is? He's a big name in the church history. He's the guy who kind of broke from the Catholic Church because he wanted theology to be more pure. And he protested and created the Protestant movement. He had some interesting thoughts about Jews, which Redemption Gateway does not hold to. But let me just read to you how Martin Luther fleshed out this problem in his own life. In a treaty, he wrote how to deal with the jews here's what he says first set fire to their synagogues and schools and bury and cover with dirt whatever will not burn so that no man will ever again see a stone or cinder of them ouch second i advise that their houses also be raised and destroyed luther third I advise that all their prayer books and their Talmud, in which such idolatry, lies, cursing, and blasphemy are taught, be taken from them. See, there's a tension here, and Luther just put all blame on Jews and just went to town on them. Fourth, I advise that their rabbis be forbidden to teach, henceforth on pain of loss of life and limb. Get their rabbis out of there and hurt them. Fifth, I advise that safe conduct on the highways be abolished completely for the Jews. He is relentless. Six, I advise that the usury be prohibited them and that all the cash and treasure and silver and gold be taken from them and put aside for safekeeping. If that wasn't enough, lastly, he commends putting a flail, an axe, a hoe, a spade, a distaff, a spindle in the hands of young, strong Jews and Jewesses and letting them earn their bread in the sweat of their brow as was imposed on the children of Adam. Most of what we know to be church started in Luther's head, and he did not get the Jews. He either never read Romans 11 or read it and just never really decided to figure out what it meant. The Jews pose a problem because God has spent all this energy pouring into them, and it seems like there's—what? Did God make a mistake? Did— I'm confused. The all-knowing, all-perfect, all-powerful God who can do anything spend all this time on this group of people and they are not on the same page by any stretch of the imagination. And Luther just goes after the Jews. On the flip side, if you look at the Jewish people and the fact that they're God's special chosen people and a lot of the world has an issue with them. There's a book out that kind of surveys the different countries specifically around Israel. And they just kind of survey just normal people in these countries and ask them about their opinions on the Jews. And over 90% of the surveys come back unfavorable. Meaning Israel, the current Jewish state, is surrounded by lots of people who don't like them. But they're still there. And God made promises to them and they just seem to stick around. And Hitler said, I got a problem with this group. And he went after them, and yet they're still here. And they're vibrant. Here's how Mark Twain kind of wraps his head around his issue with this. He says, The Egyptian and the Babylonian and the Persian arose, filled the planet with sound and splendor, and then faded to dream stuff and passed away. The Greek and Roman followed and made a vast noise, and they are gone. Other people have sprung up and held their torch high for a time, but it burned out, and they sit in twilight now, or have vanished. The Jew saw them all, beat them all, and is now what he always was, exhibiting no decadence, no infirmities of age, no weakening of his parts, no slowing of his energies, no doling of his alert and aggressive mind. All things are immortal but the Jew. All other forces pass, but he remains. What is the secret of their immorality? Oh, immortality. Sorry. Big issue. So Mark Twain, not a religious man, probably an atheist when he died, looks at the Jews and just is perplexed. And rather than getting very angry like Martin Luther and just coming after him, he just kind of sits and just wonders, what is the reason for this? And this is why this passage matters to us, mostly Gentiles here in the room. All the Watts and the Smiths and the Johnsons and the Salazars and even the Carrios. Why does it matter to us Gentiles? God is gonna prove through this passage that He has not stopped His plan with the Jews. He is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. That's it. I was talking to a guy talking about how just he kind of gets in his head a little bit. Lots of people just get in their head and try to figure stuff out. I get that. But this passage is telling you to take a step back. Look at the Jews, take a deep breath, and remember that God is faithful. Specifically, this is a long passage. I'll break it up into three sections, and we won't necessarily go verse by verse, but we'll do our best. The first section just talks, answers the question, is God trustworthy? The answer would be, yes, God is trustworthy. The second section says, is God consistent? Meaning, he seemed to have this original plan with the Jews, and he's kind of taken a left turn. Is God consistent Or is he just kind of figuring it out as he goes? And the answer is, he's consistent. And then the last question is a little trickier. It asks, what does all this mean? And I think the last section here tells us that God is mysterious. Look at the Jews. We can kind of see what he's doing. We can see his plan in place. But when we really try to wrap our heads around, God is mysterious. He is trustworthy. He is consistent. And he is mysterious. We need to trust. I am shocked that my kids struggle to trust me. I am the only source of anything they've ever known. Food, money, good times, celebrations, birthday parties, cars. Everything they have is because I have given it to them and they struggle to trust me. And that's us with God. And Paul's going to say, take a deep breath. Let's look how God's been working this whole time. Take a look at the Jews, take a deep breath, and you go out because God trusts you. So let's do this thing. The first question Paul asks here is, I ask then, verse 1, has God rejected his people? So here's the issue. Paul's looking out. Old Testament for the Jews. New Testament churches start. Has God just completely abandoned his people? And he says, by no means. In other words, absolutely not. Will Paul prove it? And Paul goes through three things that proves this. The first one is real simple. Verse 2 there. By no means I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul says God has not abandoned his people. Look at me. I am as Jewish as they come. I'm from Abraham. I came out of the tribe of Benjamin. And I'm standing here planning churches across the Mediterranean. God has a plan for the Jews. Look at me. He says, you want more? Let's keep reading. Do you not, God has not rejected his people. Verse 2, whom he foreknew. And I love this story of scripture. He goes into an Old Testament. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel. The story of Elijah is he was the first prophet, kind of big name prophet in the Old Testament. He shows up in 1 Kings and he just stands for truth and God and the Jewish faith amongst a pagan culture and amongst a bunch of Jews who are rejecting God. And he does all this fighting against false prophets and he is faithful. But he gets to this low moment. He's just slaughtered all these false prophets. Such a good story. Tell it to your kids. It's like, Shh, you're not true. I, I have the truth. And then a couple weeks later, it passed by, and he's just sitting there. and He's like, I'm alone in all this. I'm the only Jew left in the entire world. God, I'm it. And God reminds him. I'm not done with Israel. He says, Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. God, where are you? What is God's reply to him? He says, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Meaning, no matter what the circumstance looks like, God is faithful to Israel. In Elijah's day, there were 7,000 faithful. Currently in our world, there are 7 billion people. How many of them are Jews? 14 million. Which is 0.2% of the world's population is this Jewish nation. This Jewish people constitute about that much of God's world. Abraham talks to God in Genesis 15. And he's like, okay, what's the plan, God? And he says, look over there. Look up at the sky. Count the stars. If you can count the stars, that's how your people are going to be. Fast forward to Paul's day and our day. Count the stars. Far more than the .2% of Jews we look out and see. But God's saying, I'm faithful. The size isn't the issue. I am faithful to this disobedient people and I'm going to keep a remnant through every season. Can you trust God? Yes. He has made promises over thousands and thousands of years mostly to this Jewish people, and he still has the Jews here on earth. Out of those 14 million people, the approximation is that about 300,000 are saved Jews or completed Jews, however you want to say it. Tiny, 300,000. Abraham said, look at the stars, that's going to be my people. And out of the Jewish ethnic group, there are about 300,000 people who have trusted in Jesus. Paul's not worried about He's saying God is faithful. No matter how small and how crazy this seems. God makes crazy promises and comes through every time. He made a crazy promise to a random nomad way back when and said, I'm going to make crazy amounts of people out of your line. And there's still a Jewish lineage that we can look at and say, I can trust this God. I can trust him. Lastly, verse uh, 5 there. So too... The last thing he appeals to is present day. At the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it's by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. And he explains, what then? Israel has failed to obtain what it was seeking? He says, no, the elect have obtained it, obtained it but the rest were hardened. And he explains how the hardening works. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that won't see, Ears that won't hear down to this very day. And Paul is reminding you what Luke taught us a few weeks ago in Romans 9. No matter what this world looks like, Romans 8 is amazing promises of God's love. God is never going to forsake us. God's love is true and real and can be trusted. How do I know that, God? Romans 9 then says, because I'm the one planning all of this. And Paul's reminding you, the promise to the Jews is still legitimate. God has a remnant still here. No matter how small it is, God is faithful. How much faith do you need? Faith is big as a mustard seed. God doesn't work in the grandiose and the big. He works with tiny little people with tiny little faith. In tiny little world, in tiny little circumstances. And he says, faith, that's it. And Paul's reminding us, look at the juice. It's tiny, but God is working. Can God be trusted? Absolutely. Let's jump ahead to the next section here, verse 11. The second question that pops up is, is God consistent? So what? God has a group of people still here on earth. It seems like God has completely flipped the script and gone a different route with his plan of salvation. Can you trust someone who is constantly flip-flopping? We do it all the time in politics, but can you trust that? Women, can you trust a man that every three months has a different plan for how he's going to right this ship? Can you trust a rebellious kid who every two weeks gives you something different on how he's going to make this right? The question here is, is God consistent? This whole book seems to be going towards saving this Jewish people, saving this Jewish people, saving this Jewish people, saving this Jewish people, and then all of a sudden... Is God just not consistent? Other religions have this problem. You follow their history and try to track with them. They have discrepancies. You want to switch over to Mormonism, you're going to have to work through some discrepancies they have had. They say, well, back then, that's how it worked. But in 1972, we made this decision to now accept this group of people that at one time wasn't accepted. I, I can't get behind a man who acts like that, let alone a God, who is flipping the way he does things. Is God consistent? Here's where his answer lies. Let's jump down to verse 16. Is God still doing the same thing here on earth? Or has he switched it all up? Verse 16. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Makes perfect sense, right? Dave Lopez, you get that. You could have wrote that yourself. That's easy. What is he saying there? If the root is holy and if this dough is holy, then the rest of it's holy... He's talking about Abraham and the roots of Judaism. Genesis 12, God started his relationship with a group of people. And he's saying, I started it with Abraham. It's still the same story. Still the same father. Abraham is my spiritual daddy and your spiritual daddy. Still the same thing. He hasn't switched anything up. And he further explains with a great visual here in verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. So here's the picture God gives of how his plan of salvation has worked. Other religions switch, and their current board of directors has to write in and fix it. And God says, my plan's been the same. I've got a tree, and my root is Abraham. Abraham. Because when I made a promise to Abraham, I put that boy to sleep. And Abraham was sleeping as God was making his unconditional promise to Abraham. Meaning, Abraham had nothing to do with it. And then this tree grew up. The Jewish people who by faith, not in Jesus, but in the reality that there's a merciful God who will forgive sins. And is bringing a Messiah to complete this thing. The Jewish people are now the tree growing up amongst us. What happened? Let's jump down a little bit. Verse 19. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in? 20. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. Is God's plan the same from beginning to end? Yes. What's his plan? Luke said it last week. Everything hinges upon faith. If you read the Jewish big boys of the Old Testament, they weren't a great bunch of guys and gals. David was an adulterer. He was a murderer. Jacob was a coward. Jacob stood back while his daughter was raped. These guys are not mighty righteous men. Nor are you. Nor am I. Belief has been the plan from the very beginning. And the Jews, when Jesus showed up, said, I don't believe. And God broke off the Jewish people and set them aside. And now the Jews have been broken off of their very own tree. And he said, I'm going to go out and get a group of people. I'm going to get some Americans and some Canadians and some Brazilians and some Costa Ricans And some Peruvians. And I'm going to bring them in. The wild olive branches he calls us. What's the Bible say about us? We are wild olive branches. That doesn't sound very nice. But I have been taken and placed in the tree of God's salvation. Never to be taken out. Amen? So what is God doing? He is saving a people who believe in him. The Jews... Were the original beginning of this. By believing in God and trusting in His mercy, they were saved and they were put in the tree. And Jesus came and they said, Ah! And God, okay, we're gonna play this game. I'm gonna go get Salazar. I'm gonna go get my boy Watt over there from Scotland. I'm gonna get Johnson and Smith. And I guess I'll get Creel. And now we're on the same tree, Abraham as our root. Can God be trusted? Absolutely. He is faithful to the Jews and he is faithful to us wild olive branches who have been brought into his original plan of salvation that has never changed from the beginning. The curtain's been taken back a little so now we can see what our salvation rests in and it's the person of Jesus Christ. But it's been belief from day one. Belief in something outside of ourselves is God consistent. Amen, he is. What are you going through right now? Tons of stuff. Has God turned his back on you? Absolutely not. In your suffering? Absolutely not. He is right there with you. He is a consistent, faithful father. Lastly, let's jump to the third section here. This is where it gets fun for me. In all this, how do we put this all together and make sense of what God's doing? Let's read verse 25 here. Paul's going to unpack the story of the world for us. He says, lest you be wise in your own sight. Talking mainly to Gentiles right now. Lest you get all puffed up thinking you know how all this works. Let me explain to you how God is doing this thing. I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial Hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Makes perfect sense, Paul. Thank you. What did Paul just say there? He just wrote the story of the world. He says, lest you be wise, let me explain God's plan from the very beginning. God's going to choose a people, specifically through Abraham. I'm going to bless you. And he blesses Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Because of anything they've done? No, because of belief in him. And he starts this lineage of Jewish people. And then they break off into 12 tribes. And he continues blessing them. He punishes them and spanks them, no doubt. But he is blessing them all throughout the Old Testament. And he puts them in the middle of enemies. And he gives them land. He gives them crazy victors where all you got to do is blow a trumpet and walls fall down. He blesses them time and time again. He blesses Abraham and his old wife with a baby. He blesses and he blesses and he blesses. And then Jesus comes and God hits pause on the Jews. Let me read again. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. And he paused. And he says, now I'm going to direct my attention to the Gentiles. Until when? until the fullness of Gentiles have come in. What does that mean for us practically? There is a last Gentile in God's plan of salvation. There is one last name on the list that God is going to be working in this world until that last person has put faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then he's done saving Gentiles. He's got his number. And then it says, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. Other things say, then all Israel will be saved. So here's how it pans out. I'm going to the Jews. I bless them. They reject me. Okay, I'm going to the world and the nations, and they will receive me by faith. And then I'm going to get my very last wild olive branch in my tree, and then I'm going back to my original branches, and all Israel will be saved. Does that mean every single Jew that has ever existed will be saved? No. Does it mean the state of Israel currently over there in the Middle East, those people living in that area will be saved? No. Israel in this whole section is talking about ethnic Jews. And all doesn't always mean all. It usually means majority. So what Paul's saying... There is coming a time when God's going to go back to his people, the Jews, and he's going to save them in mass numbers. There are 14 million right now. 300,000 are saved. And that's going to be flipped. And he's going to go and get the majority of his people back in his tree. I mean, as I was preparing this, I was just kind of daydreaming. If I snap my fingers and all the Jews throughout all the world were saved... What would happen? He talks about it. Reconciliation of the world. and If the trespass of the Jews now means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their coming back to God mean for the world? It is going to be amazing. The original people of God are going to be back in his tree understanding grace like we now know. Over there in Israel, here in America, Jews across the land will come back to the Messiah. So how do we treat Jews here and now? With reverence. God went to them first. With humility, we were the wild branch brought in. With hopeful expectation that this happens, and it happens soon. Because it says, when all Israel will be saved, story's over. And we all get to go spend eternity with the king of the Jews. Amen? That's how God's doing it. That's the mystery that's been revealed. Here's where my heart's really camped out a lot is, as I just think about normal people, y'all are normal people, most people would not write this story if they were God. Just spend like 20 minutes one day and sit down. How would you have done all this if you were God? It's a deep question, but here's the answer, simple answer. None of us would have done it this way. None of us. We're not that smart. We're not that wise. We're not that gracious. We're not that merciful. We're not that anything. So why did God create the world? Let's finish there. Go down to verse 20. Go to 30. In the mysterious plan of God, let's see why he did all this. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, meaning the Jews now, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. Let me read verse 32 again. God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Here is the great mystery of Romans in Romans 11. That is the very last sentence before it goes into a worship song. So that's what Paul ends on before Brasleton comes up and strums. Let me read it one more time. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. What is the point of that? That wraps a big bow on this whole section, on this whole letter of Romans, on this whole Bible. What is God doing in this world thing he's got going on? What is God doing? Very quickly, I want to go through what I think a lot of people think when they think about the history of the world according to us. Just your general Joe Schmoes in the world. If you talk to an atheist which there's going to be atheists in the room, possibly. What do you say is the reason for all this? They're going to say something like this. Nothing created us based off science. That's what I believe, okay? We are pretty neat, and by that I mean, but humans seem to be like this special thing. Humans seem kind of set apart. Just have a good life, the end. We were talking to this one gal at the wedding. We did recently, and I said, so what's the point of all this? She's like, just to kind of enjoy your life. My wife was like, what? She just got after and I was like, go, Aubrey, yes. She's like, the Bible says you're just a flower that withers away. You're just grass that's gone in no time. And then eternity stands there. And you don't think about that? Not really. Think about the next bottle of red wine. Think about my next boyfriend. What? What about someone who maybe allows for a god? Well, they just say, well, maybe something created us, but then they follow the same plot. We're pretty neat. We all seem pretty special. These humans kind of are thinking, rational beings. They seem kind of different than monkeys. Have a good life. Maybe there's something after all of it. about the religious guy? God created us. We're pretty neat. Religious people read the Bible and say we're made in the image of God. That's the neatness we all see. Live a good life. Meaning you be good. And then when you die, you'll see God in the next life. Enjoy it forever. Those are essentially the three stories of the world going on right now. What is the story of the world according to God? He says he has consigned all to disobedience so that he may have mercy on all. When God was thinking about the world, he wasn't thinking about Pluto and all this stuff. He was thinking about, how do I create beings that know me completely? Be like this. Imagine you were the perfect dad. You were rich and generous. You were strong but meek and mild. You were gracious. You were everything that a dad should be. You were just amazing. And you thought, I'm going to bring a kid into my home because I want to share all this with somebody. What kind of kid would you pick so that the fullness of you would be on display in that kid's life? Would you pick the do-gooder who is never going to cross you or question you? Maybe. You would pick a kid that lives a life of disobedience, rebellion, every sort of thing that brings all of your attributes on display in their life. So that when you run away, your dad runs after you, prodigal son. And when you flip him off, he hugs you. And when you spend your money like a fool, he keeps coming after you and giving you money and teaching you. And he's patient and he's kind and he's good. How does God in all that he is, all of his many displays, he's got grace and humility and mercy and all these amazing attributes. How does he share them? He creates a disobedient people, starting with the Jews, and then the Watts, and he starts to save them, and he has mercy on them. The world is not here for me and for you. The world, according to Romans 11, is here because there is a God who is amazing. You don't believe it? Look at the Jews. Look at your own life and just where you've been and the path you've taken, and God says, I love you. Go back to Romans 8 if you've forgotten that. Is this an amazing story? Way better than anything I could come up with. God has mercy on all. Just let that sink in your head. God has mercy on disobedient people, which means it's not about you. He comes after you in his mercy. Amen? And he came after the Jews, and he's coming after us. And one day it's going to come to an end, and we're going to see his mercy even fuller. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being you. Thank you for the little ways you reveal yourself to us. We all have such a tiny view of you. Thank you for the Jewish people who make it so that there's no mistake that God is a gracious God of mercy. And that we mostly are just rebellious and disobedient. And yet, you're faithful. We can trust you. You're consistent. You keep coming after us. And God, as we step a, take a step back and look, this is just mysterious. How you're doing all of this. And specifically, how you've taken wild, broken off, branches and put them into the tree of life where we get you in your fullness thank you god thank you we love you so much in jesus name we pray amen